You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Psalm 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers are coming down the aisle. They have a stack of Bibles in their hand. They'd love to give you a loaner. It is a loaner, so when you're done with it, leave it on your chair if you're done. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, at the end of the service, go to the information desk and say, I want a Bible. And they'd be happy to give you one. Uh, turn to Psalm t- uh, 24, but also you're going to want to put your finger in uh, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 6. We're going to hit that in a little bit too and, and back to, to that. But you know, uh, um, there's something fun about this time of year. Also take out your notes. You're going to want to write down some notes in there. Turn to the um, uh, note section. There's an inside um, thing about the sanctity of human life. And, and this is that Sunday we celebrate that. And there's a thing I want you to read in there. You can check it out later and, and after the end of the service and on your way home and things like that. But, but do open up the, the note page. You're going to write down some of these verses. But there's something fun about this time of year. You know, I, I, I love the, the competitions that go on. I mean, we've got major sports happening here. And, uh, you know, who cares about what's happening east of here? Uh, but something's happening on the West Coast. You know, we, yeah, we got the, the, the uh, Seattle Seahawks today are facing the, the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, we're all excited about this West Coast happening. And what makes it even more fun is that uh, some of you know Pastor Justin who gave me the announcements. He is a die-hard Seattle Seahawks fan. And every single time he preaches, he's got to talk about some Washington team, you know. Uh, but, but what makes it fun is that, uh, some of you may not know this, but uh, uh, our student ministries pastor, Stan Markowski, is a die-hard uh, 49ers fan. So uh, we're excited about that. And Stan, are you here? There? Yeah, you're there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know my son is that same way, and I see Mandia Dingo's here. You're a 49ers fan, right? Yeah, and we're excited about, about, this, about this competition. It's kind of fun, you know, and there's a little office banter that goes back and forth with this, and I, I love it. I just think it's great, and it was fun today. You, you, I wish you would have been here because uh, um, uh, Justin comes in with his, his kids, and his son, Kale, is, you know, all decked out in his Seattle Seahawks uniform. Brainwashed. Training a child in the way he should go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you want to spiritualize it, that's fine. <laughs> but Kale's all excited. He's jumping around. So naturally, I come out of my office and go, go 49ers! And he goes, go Seahawks! And he's all excited. I so, so Kale, are you excited about the game? And he goes, oh! Yeah, I'm excited, but my dad is scared. <laughs> and I said, he should be. <laughs> oh, we love that competition. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's that. And, we, and now, um, especially this time of year, you know, it's, it's Olympic year. And I, I love it because we get, you know, there's a global excitement about the Olympics with all the qualifiers and stuff like that. And it's fun because we get behind our country. And for me, it's, a, it's especially fun, especially around Winter Olympics, because, uh, you know, je suis a au Canada. I was born in Canada. And, uh, and you know... Um, Canada does really well in the Olympics, not with anything else, but really well in the Winter Olympics. And, you know, who does curling better than Canada, right? So, um, 
it's really exciting for me to, you know, do you know, actually, in last, uh, last time Olympics in 2010, do you know who took home the most golds? It was Canada. Yeah, it was not the U.S. Canada was number one in the golds. U.S. was only number three. Hey, it's still the Olympics. <laughs> Best in the world. You know, these, I love these times of the year because it brings out the fan in us. And, you know, some of us take their fan place very seriously and they begin to talk in things like we, <laughs> uh, like they really have a say or contribute in some way to the athletic success of the team. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love Seattle because Seattle is so brainwashed. Their their fans, they they, they call them the the, uh, the the twelfth man. You know, this is by the way Justin's flag. <laughs> Go figure that. Uh, they call them the twelfth fan because they, they really feel like they're contributing to the athletic you know venture of the team. When honestly, you know, they truly they do help the team in their economic success. And maybe at the, at, the, at the stadium they do cheer on you know their team or their country. But honestly, lest we forget. Professional sports is a business, and they're looking for you to invest in their franchise. <laughs> like I said, they've got Seattle hook, line, and sinker in that. But, uh, but we love to watch, and I love to watch fans and to see uh, them get all crazy in their team or their country. In, a, in the Olympics, they just get all crazy about that. And some fans um, get so into it that their loyalty is amazing. I mean, all those years that Washington teams did nothing, Justin was there. You know, a loyal fan was there. And and will support them too thick and thin. And some jump in from one team to another. I love it. Brett was in the second service. And and, uh, uh, Brett is, um, some people call it fair weather fan. Some people call it a smart fan. He's just for whoever's winning. So I said, who are you rooting for today? And he said, <laughs> first service, he goes, um, I always win. <laughs> so he wrote, roots for whoever wins, and it's really kind of a fun thing. And, and some jump in on that and, and they show no real loyalty, but they want to be part of whoever's winning. And, and one person I remember asked them, well, what team are you going to choose? And they said, well, whatever team has the best colors. <laughs> whatever it takes, I guess. But in all this fandom, there is a great lesson. Something we can learn as we explore uh, this area of our powerful affections, experiencing God in, a, in a, His presence in a seductive world, in this, this center of putting Christ as our highest affection. There's something we can learn. For when someone gets so taken by a team or a country, like with the Olympics, it's difficult for them to see any other team. They have that central focus, that powerful affection for their team. And they get a little bit fanatical <laughs> with their, uh, their uh, heart's affections. When I think about that, it reminds me of a time that David, uh, the one that we're studying in our devotional and, and focusing a lot on our campaign around King David of the Bible. There was a time when he got a little bit fanatical about God. See, David loved God tremendously, called even a man after God's own heart. We're very young, he was anointed king over all of Israel, yet it did not happen right away. It took a while for him to get in that place. Actually, as in part of his journey, Saul, his father-in-law, tried to kill him. But David did take his place as king, and God gave David great victories, and David gave God great glory. 
So much so that David went a little bit fan crazy uh, with God in one particular time. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible with you, hopefully you'll turn over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel's found right after 1 Samuel. Um, Chapter 6, verse 14. David had experienced great victory and he was anointed king over all of Israel. And he could not wait for God's presence to be in the city. And in verse 14, David wearing just a linen ephod. A linen ephod is kind of like a, a, it's just kind of like your underwear. And uh, uh, David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might. Well, he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, <laughs> disrobing in the sight of slave girls as his servant, as any vulgar fellow would. Verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who caused me, rather than your father or anyone from his family, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. For by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Being so taken of the sovereignty of God, the approachability of God, and God's desire for personal interaction, David let his passions flow and he celebrated. And so should we. Not in our underwear. But we should celebrate. I know when I came to faith... um, uh, it was uh, I still remember the day. It was August 22nd, 1972. Uh, a friend of mine, Jeff, had been bringing me to church, and, and I had learned about, uh, about God, that, that God is a tremendous, amazing creator, that he loved us. But I also learned that there was something that separated me from God. And the Bible was really clear on that. And that separation was sin. And I learned that I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I, I didn't have any trouble admitting that. I knew myself. <laughs> I knew my issues, my problems, and that sin separated from me from God. And try as I might, there was no way that I could personally get next to God because of this chasm of sin. And as I learned from Sunday school and, and different people teaching me about that, I learned that, 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 that there was no way I could make it. I couldn't be good enough to be accepted by God. I needed a Savior. And I knew that that was Jesus, but I didn't know how to make that decision. And so Jeff came over to my house it was about 11.30 at night. Came in. I was already in bed. And uh, Jeff said, Mike, you got to become a Christian. And I said, okay, what do I do? And I, he went through this little booklet. It's a, it's a little gospel track. It's, it's called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he talked about how I'm a sinner and that I can't get to God. There's this chasm and I can try as I might as I can't. But I need to come to the place where I believe in Jesus. And to believe is acknowledging my sin and understanding that I need a Savior. And that is Jesus. And to commit my life as best I know how to do that. And so I did. And I prayed that prayer. And I write word for word right in the back of that booklet. And I prayed it. And I said, amen. And I went, wow. All of a sudden, I just felt this incredible peace inside of me. And I, I jumped up and I started dancing around the room and I was in my underwear and I was dancing excited about that I didn't know that David had danced his underwear and I figured that's what everybody did when they got received Lord but it's, it's not 
Just, just a couple weeks ago, Vicki, a person just right in here, uh, prayed to receive Christ, and she was so excited, she shouted out, I'm saved! <laughs> we should get excited about that! Because once you were lost, now you're saved. Once you were heading towards hell, now you're heading towards heaven. You've got a purpose, you've got meaning in life, and it's something to celebrate. Amen. And something to get excited about. And even if you've got to dance before the Lord, again, not publicly and in your underwear is not a good thing. But you get the point what I'm talking about. Now, I know that all of us express our celebration in different ways, and that is okay. Yet, however, and whenever we do celebrate it, let it be with joy, to get excited, to rejoice, to praise, to ascribe the Lord, the glory, do His name. For that is exciting. And when we do that, when we place... Uh, get a little fanatical and excited about God, placing Him in the highest place of our affections. The idols we tend to harbor lose their power and fade away and are more easily torn down. Psalm 24 is possibly speaking of that occasion when David celebrated before the Lord, giving us three fanatical claims about God to set our affections on, that God is sovereign, that God is approachable, and that God's desire is to interact with us. And so let's explore this psalm this morning as we continue on in our uh, campaign, this, this concentrated focus on powerful affections, experiencing the presence of God in the seductive world. But before we do that, let's stand and pray. Put your books aside just for a second. Let's stand. I'm glad that you're here. I know in this, that as we talk about God, as more you put your affections on Him, the power of these idols, and we all have them, our heart is a, is a factory full of idols. We make an idol out of everything, and we can with anything. And we need to place God in that highest affection. When we do, the idols tend to lose their power. Let's ask God to, to, to deal with us and encourage us. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. And we thank you for the excitement that there is in you, the sovereign Lord of the universe. God, help us to get a little bit excited this morning. To let those uh, uh, excitement like a, like a great fan come out. And, and may we be... Uh, putting and centering our affections on you this morning. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Challenge us with those idols that are in our life. And Lord, help us to to love you and to celebrate you with all that we have. Teach us this hour, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. And and, uh, if you haven't already done so, take out that outline and and write down. uh, There'll be some answers. The answers will be on the screen. And obviously, I'll give you lots more verses you can write and study later. Make sure that you pick up, as Pastor Justin talked about, the the uh, uh, community life group page. Even if for some reason you aren't able to make it into a group this week, pick up the page every week and make sure you have this. And you can look at the uh, the uh, videos online. There's some f- funny videos that we did and, and uh, we're sheep. It's kind of crazy, but you'll enjoy those. So you won't want to miss that. But three um, fanatical claims about God to set our affections on. The first claim to get to fire up our affections is God is sovereign. Maybe you're already there, but turn, if you could, uh, back over to Psalm 24, verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 are this first point. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. God created the universe and the earth out of nothing. Ex nihilo, it's talked about in, in Genesis. It's, it's, God didn't just make the mountain, you know, gathered in a bunch of dirt, you know, made a mountain. He actually created the dirt. And when there was no dirt around, 
He made it out of nothing. God is the only one who can take something and make it out of nothing. No one else can do that. We just simply you know, push things together and kind of put parts together. God makes something out of nothing. And that's how he made this world. He took it out of nothing, put it into place. It's his. And it's Colossians 1, verses 15 to, to 17, talk about he is the one who holds it together. It's all his by right and by power. Write this verse down and make sure you, I would encourage you to memorize it. But First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, it says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Greatness meaning a claim to divine honor. He has that, that sense of greatness above anyone else, that divine, whole, holy, high honor. You, O Lord, are the greatness and the power, that power and strength, the ability to have an effect. God has got the power to have an effect. He can do anything. There's nothing that God cannot do. He has the power and the strength to do anything. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. That's that wonderful word that actually in Hebrew means weighty. It means weighty, so heavy that it has importance. It's weighty in importance and in power and, and in, in value to us. It's weighty, but also beautiful, like a you know, big old huge nugget of gold. It's beautiful, shiny, and yet it's, it's weighty and it's, it's, it's valuable. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. And the majesty, majesty meaning impressive. And not just impressive, but dignity. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the dignity and the splendor. Splendor meaning excellence. A a grandeur beyond measure. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted As head over all, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt. That word exalt means to lift up and and you give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. God is all powerful. He is the sovereign Lord, the owner of everything. And though we may possess it, or have bought it, or have made it, or have birthed it, it's still God's. The house, the car, the wife, the husband, the kids. Some parents say, sure, you, God, you can just have them. <laughs> but parents, you too. Some kids go, God, you can have them too. <laughs> Goes both ways. God owns it all. Our job, it's not our job, it's his job. Our bank account, the money we have, it's God's. Your paycheck, God's. Your time. God's. And certainly if you have believed, according to 1 Corinthians 6 20, you've been bought with a price. See, when you were in, uh, in, sinful, without a savior, you were enslaved to sin, shackled down to sin. And there was nothing that could break that bond unless the price was paid. Jesus paid that price when he died on the cross. He paid for your salvation. He paid for your freedom. We are free because of Christ. We've been bought over by him. We are owned now by the Lord. He is the best master. A master to be loved and feared and lived for. And a sovereign Lord, he should not be just an addendum, uh, an add-on to life. We're seen as something we made up to soothe our need to worship something. 
This world was not some cosmic accident with random chemical interactions that somehow evolved into all that we see. This universe was created, intelligently designed by God, with all the systems and orders and natural process to sustain life. There is no other logical explanation. It's like the Earth's axis, so precise that if off by a fraction of a degree, life could not be sustained. And that exactness didn't just arrive from some galactic explosion. <laughs> the probability of that is equivalent to a, a, a bomb going off in a printing press. And all of a sudden, boom, out dropped into your hands a dictionary, fully bound with all the definitions in place, everything right and correct. It is impossible for all of these systems in our world and all the exactness to just happen to come across. The same with our bodies, the, uh, the, the systems that flow into, even just the, the enzymatic systems that are in our body, the different enzymes that are flowing throughout your body. It is mathematically impossible for them to have been evolved. It's too precise. There is no scientific theory that can explain it. Because an intelligent designer created it. God spoke it into being. And being he is owner, his rule governs. So we should join in. Surrender to his way and know him. Psalms 37.7 says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Be still before the Lord means to surrender. You saw Tom and Gail up here. They surrendered to the Lord. God was leading them to that country and, and they didn't really want to go, but they surrendered. And when you surrender to the Lord, it's, it's like your sails get full and you have direction. The verses just above verse 7, verses 3 to 5, tell us how to surrender. Look at verses 3 to 5 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. You see, you know what it is to trust the Lord? Come with me, brother. <clears throat> to trust in the Lord is to do this. Just follow me. Just follow me. Just follow me. Just come this way. Richard's following me. That's what it means to trust in the Lord, to follow him. But sometimes God does this. Okay, just go ahead. Nope, turn around. This way. Okay, Go. No, no, turn, way, turn this way. <laughs> Thank you for being an obedient servant. But that's what it means to trust in the Lord. It means you follow him and you take his lead. And sometimes we want to go one way and we go, well, hey, Lord, where do you want me to go? And you let him guide you and direct you in life. Amen. That idea of delight, when it says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desires of his heart and commit your ways to him, trust in him. It's, the, it's like that idea that the word delight means to set our affections upon it's like a, a young man and woman in love. You know, they, they, they have delighted themselves in each other. And they, 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 they just want to be with each other. And they've set their affections. Now their affections become exclusive. And they're only going to set that affection towards each other. And that exclusiveness of a delight uh, turns now into a commitment. Because someday they stand either in front of a church or outside or at some cathedral or somewhere. They come and they commit their lives to each other. They even wear rings that say, we belong to each other. It's that same way with God. We follow him and trust. And then we, we, we're so delighted in him and so, set our affection so much on him that we commit to him every part of our day. Even when we don't feel like we want to go. 
like Tom and Gail. They surrender. You know what the uh, universal sign of surrender is? Do it with me. All of you, come on, just surrender. Some people wonder why we raise hands in church. This is why. Because you're just saying, some, I surrender to you, God. Some people are really into that. Some people don't. You do whatever worship style you want. But if, when we surrender to God's sovereignty, there is much to celebrate. We are changed and the idols are pushed away. And sometimes we need to get a little more excited about the fact that we're on the winning team. God is sovereign. There's no one higher than him. His way is the best way. And we need to celebrate and focus our affections on God and his sovereignty. When we do, idols lose their power and are more easily removed. Another claim that can fire up our affections is that God is approachable. Look at verses 3 through 6. Who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. And vindication from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And then there's a word that selah, which is a word that means pause. God is approachable. We can ascend to his holy hill. We can be in his presence. He is approachable because of what Christ has done. He's closed that gap between us and God. And so we can relate, we can connect, we can associate, interact with Him. He is not distant, not elusive, not too busy, nor does He think of us as too insignificant. God wants us to relate to Him. He wants us to come and to drink Him in. Isaiah 55 verse 1, invites, God invites us to connect saying, Come, who are thirsty. Jesus says the same thing in John 7, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, come. It's not so much the need, but the opportunity. God says, come. Jesus says, come. And you will gain the quenching of the thirst that you have in life. And God is available. So here is the opportunity to find that, that, that quenching that what our soul thirsts for. You ever been thirsty? Parched. Mm, just use a glass of water. And you just feel that, that sense. There's been a few times I've really been thirsty. And I've actually had memory of it. Uh, one came when I was uh, living in Utah. Now, last week I told you a story about when I was living in Alaska. And, uh, and that's where, uh, you know, I did the swim team and things like that. Well, before then, my dad taught at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. Before then, my dad taught at Utah State in Logan, Utah. So we would go, a lot of times my dad would take us out and, and because, you know, the geologists wanted to see the, and we lived, Logan is kind of up in the top of, of Utah, right near the Great Salt Lake. And so we would go out to the Great Salt Lake and we'd go out and my dad would do a thing. We, we, go, we traveled in our, we called it cheap Jeep and we'd go out there and I, you know, and he'd tag us, me and my brother along and it was kind of fun and and of course, you know, this time my dad said, bring your canteen. You know, I was a good little Cub Scout. I had my little canteen and I was so excited about that. And of course, as a young kid, I just figured I needed to drink all of the canteen right now. So I'm clunk, 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 in the back of the car, I'm drinking away. And my dad said, he probably should save some of that later. I go, ah, I'm, you know, I just keep drinking it. And, and uh, <clears throat> we got there and he's out talking to the geologist about something about the salt lake. And, and um, I got really thirsty. 
And I looked out and saw this water. And I went, wow. I'm really thirstier now than I've ever been thirstier before in my life. And I've got to get a drink. And so I jumped out of the Jeep, and I noticed there was a little spring. And I, I knew, you know, Boy Scout, Cub Scout, uh, always go where the water is running to get a drink. Because I figured that. And I yelled at my dad, hey, Dad, I'm going to get a drink. And he said, oh, you know, figured, okay, figuring I was going to get out of my canteen. So, you know, I brought my canteen with me to fill it up. But I, I got down there, and I scooped down there, and you know, I moved the water around so there's no bugs or any debris in there. And I moved it around. There's a few little bugs. Put them away. Sit stared at him for a while because, you know, a little boy. And uh, <clears throat> so I began to, I took a sip. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm thirstier. Oh, I'm really thirstier more. This is not uh, quenching my thirst. And I just kept kind of feverishly trying to get it, filling up my canteen, dumping it on my face everywhere. My dad finally pulls me away from the stream because I would have drank myself to death because that water is the salt water and it doesn't quench my thirst, nor will it ever. We do the same thing with other elements of life. We try to quench our thirst with everything else but God. Our thirst for love, significance, purpose, meaning, value, um, with all kinds of other things. The Bible calls that idolatry. Anything that we seek to quench the deep thirsts of life, that we set our heart on, that we set our affection on, that we look for happiness that is not God, is an idol. Just in your margin, write down Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. Really read the whole, whole chapter there. But in the first five, five verses, Ezekiel, speaking to the people through God is telling Ezekiel what to say, says to Israel, you've deserted God and are trying to get the quenching for life in idols. And because of the, the sinfulness of our heart, even good things can become idols. A, f- a family, a spouse, a sport, ourselves, ambitions, drives, wanting to look good, healthy. It's when we say, if I have this, then I will have meaning and be happy. It's saying, I know with this, I will have value and significance and security. If that, this, is not God, it is an idol. Idols can be those things that we tend to dream about, daydream and think a lot about, and kind of mull over our mind in. Idols tend to be those things that we dream. Idols can be those things that we dread, uh, fear, or have nightmares about. Those can be idols. Idols can be those things that bring drama into our life. The things that we get most frustrated about, angry about, push our buttons the most. We spend a lot of emotions and drama on our idols. Dream, dread, and drama. Those are idol-based. Now, because we're so good at this, we tend to try to analyze other people. Oh, I can see. You're probably thinking, oh, I know that's somebody's idol. (laughs) Write down Matthew chapter 7. Verse 3 to 5. Look at that before you start judging other people. It talks about don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when you get the big old log (laughs) in your eye. But what you do is you and the Lord sit down and do what Psalm 139, the very last few verses of Psalm 139. We'll talk about Psalm 139 in a few weeks, but it says this. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought and see if there is any offensive way, any idle way in me and lead me into the everlasting way. We need to have that sensitivity with God and constantly be going before him. David wrote that psalm during a time when he was holding the Lord as his highest affection. However, there was, that was not always the case with David. <clears throat> David did face a fork in the road. And instead of taking that road to place his affection in God, he chose to place his affection on idols, not on God, and turning away from God. Turn with me back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, now chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Excuse me, chapter 11. Verse 1. In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole army of Israel. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabaha. But David remained in Jerusalem. Maybe one of David's first idols was the idol of laziness. It says when kings go off to war, but David stayed home. David was the king of Israel. He was supposed to go out to war. God had called him to lead the armies of Israel. And David stayed home. He didn't follow God's way. He wanted to, maybe he felt like, I've done my battles. I've fought the Philistines. I've killed 10,000 people. I don't have to do this anymore. And yet here he's supposed to be out to war. So he's moving down that path where that idol of ease and laziness, and we can do the same thing thinking we got too much going on in our lives. we got too much handling, and we can't handle the things of God. And God says to live life His way no matter what. To live out His purposes, your call on, that God has on your life. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the, of the palace, mostly probably because he was bored, <laughs> because he was not doing the things that God had called him to do. You know, one of the most dangerous places to be in all of life of Christendom is to be bored. To me, how can you be a child of God and be bored when there's so much to do? But David was bored. <laughs> what does it say? Idle hands are the devil's. Yeah. Because when we're bored, we're doing nothing. Sooner or later, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. When even David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah? The, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? You see, David was faced with a temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, write it down. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken us, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not tempt us beyond what we're able, but with the temptation, always provide a way of escape. In other words, when we're faced with a temptation, there is a way out somewhere. We don't have to give in to the sin. 
David, because he had now moved his affections off of God and God's way, stopped celebrating the sovereignty of God, dancing before him. Now he's trying to feed his, his own thirst for life in the things of life. And so he sees this opportunity and he begins to walk down the path of that sin. Verse four, David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Somebody else's wife. Now we don't know if uh, she was willing uh, with the king and the kingdoms in that day and age. You were owned by the king and if the king said something, you did it. But really, David raped her. When she went back home and the woman conceived and sent word to David, those great words, I am pregnant. Whoa, it gets worse. We'll talk about that next week. But this is the result of going after idols. Destruction and, and, and difficulty in life, and it's going to get way worse than this. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. Going after that thirst, but it ends, but when but in the end it leads to death. Yet we are to approach God. We're to go God's direction and go to Him and, and make the effort with clean hands. Clean hands meaning you you you've you've asked Him to forgive your sins and you've you've repented, you've turned away from that. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful to us to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we, we confess our sin and then head down back to God's direction, making him in the highest place of affection. And that's what the next verse says. This is not to not set your souls on idols means to not place idols in that, that high seat of affection. But to place God there, for when we do, we when we set our hearts on God. As verse 5 and 6 says of Psalm 24, there's time of celebration. There's joy and excitement of living right with God. So turn from the idols. Get busy about God's purpose and call and relationship with Him. God is approachable. Our favorite player, our team hero. Why would you not take the opportunity to hang out with Him? Because the claim is true. God desires that interaction. Look at verse 7 through 10 in Psalm 24. Go back to Psalm 24. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the he, this King of glory, the Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. God wants to spend time with you. So open up your gates of your life. Open them up and give Him your attention. Let Him in. Let Him in, the King of glory, the one who honor is due. You would not slam the door of your house if someone important to you, a Billy Graham, a Bill Gates, a Princess Kate, a Bono, whoever you think is important, came to your door, you'd let him in. How much more should you let the King of Glory in? You would afford them that honor. You should afford God that honor. God has said, come. 
Come and drink of his living water that gives that quenching to our thirst. Honor him and give him the glory due his name. Psalm 29 verses 1 and 2 says, ascribe to the Lord. That means bestow on to God. Talk about it. Sing about it. Say about it. About how awesome God is. Ascribe to the Lord, almighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. It's giving God praise. It's actually when we're singing songs about his presence and his worth that we let those words resonate in our heart and mind and we blurt them out. And if we want to raise our hands or fall on our knees or whatever posture you want to take, just don't dance around in your underwear. Do that at home if you want. And it's also living a life his way, living God's way of life. So let him in. The Lord, strong and mighty. Most literally, that means the victor. The one who is victorious over the sin in our life. Over the finality of death. Over the slavery of sin. Over that separation between us and God. Let him in. If someone rescued you from death and they came over, would you not let them in? Yes. So let God in and celebrate. Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. It's being thankful and living each day as a thank you to God. Let him in. Let God in, for he is the Lord Almighty, the all-powerful one, sovereign. And as David did so many times before and even after this event, He opened up his life, the gates of his life, and proclaimed, as 2 Samuel 7, verse 22 says, Oh, how great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. As we've heard with our own eyes. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. The sovereign Lord God of the universe desires to interact with you. Isn't that amazing? The God who created all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything God wants to know and relate to you. Why would you not? In his presence, we are changed, we grow, we become more like him. Why not take the opportunity? I don't know what team... (laughs) you're going to be rooting for today or the Super Bowl or in the Olympics. But in life, let certainly cheer on God. God is sovereign. God is approachable. God desires interaction. For when we connect to our amazing God and get a little fanatical, idols lose their power and can be more easily removed. So why not try? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the greatness of your word and the incredibleness of yourself that we could enjoy you and live for you. Lord, help us to do that. 
Help us to, to put you in that highest place of affection and surrender to you. And Lord, help us live for you. We pray this in your son's name.